few years ago, I had the opportunity to be in Calcutta, India, and I heard a story about a, a little school, it's a Christian school, actually a Catholic school, and uh, a little boy, they were right on the edge of a slum, and they didn't have a place to play. It was a very small area. There was a trash heap pile just across the street, and uh, they had been talking about something like this, and uh, that with the faith of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. And the little boy told his teacher, why don't we just pray that God will give us a park? And she was like, yeah, that, okay, that's a good idea. I mean, they didn't have money, didn't have the resources. So they did. A week later, bulldozers showed up, bulldozed that trash heap, hauled it away, created a park for that little school. God is in the small things of just a little boy's prayer in faith. I'm Brett Freeman. I'm the Minister of Evangelism and Missions. Been here four or five months, I guess. Uh, my wife Donna and I served 20 years with the International Mission Board in South Asia and uh, traveled all around uh, that part of the world and many other places as well. I want to talk about today living a life that matters. And what does that mean? And then I want to give you some examples of folks I've come alongside that are doing just that, that really challenge me and challenge my walk. And I think will challenge you, hopefully encourage you as well to realize, like Doug said last week, these are glory days. We're living in the glory days. God is at work in this world, redeeming his people. And Shannon, a couple of weeks ago, talked about right relationship. If you want to live a life that matters, then you have to be in that right relationship. If you'll take your notes out, um, we're going to look at a couple of things, a passage there. But I want to start with uh, a quote from that colorful statesman, Winston Churchill. He says, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. We make a life by what we give. I've been able to meet a lot of givers. Actually, that's one of the things that really attracted us and sealed the deal on our side for this church. There are a lot of givers in this church. And I'm not talking about just monetary resources. You know, we can have a lot of money or we can have a little, but we all have 24 hours in every day. What do you do with your 24 hours? How do you invest them? How do you allow God to multiply himself through that? Matthew 6, 19 through 21, you'll find that printed in your notes. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up For yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This is right in the middle of Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. Jesus has been talking to the crowd and tells us about 
living a life that matters, investing those resources that we have, mostly us, our lives, our time. In Psalm 22, we're told that God inhabits the praise of his people, just like the songs we've been singing. God inhabits the praise of his people. Praise isn't just songs, it's testimony. In Psalm 145, we're told that we should proclaim the great works of God. We should talk about those. We should testify to his greatness, not for our glory, not for our edification, but to let people know who it is we serve and who the God of the universe is. So I want to do some of that today. I want to tell you about some givers. There's a little Buddhist kingdom halfway around the world, sandwiched between the two giants of India and China called Bhutan. And I had the opportunity to go there with uh, a Wycliffe partner. He was working on the translation of uh, language of the Bible into their language. And I was doing survey work to see what's going on there. We'd heard some stories. There were a few believers. There's still not many, but there are some places in that little kingdom that are rocking for the Lord. And it's because of people like Ben and John. These are nationals. That's the names that they wanted us to go by and to, and to pray for them. I was in the capital in Paro in his apartment, which consisted of one room. It was his bedroom, it was his kitchen, it was his living room, and it was his dining room. All one small 12 by 12 room. He was in bed, wasn't feeling well. Spends a third of his time in the capital, usually in that room, with his wife taking care of him, nursing him back to health. Because you see, he, he has a call on his life to take the gospel to the Buddhist monasteries and to the Buddhist monks in that country. And that usually means walking. And this is right up in the Himalayas. So it's hard walking. And I've done some of that hard walking. And it is, trust me, it's like a marathon. In terms of what it takes endurance wise. So he spends a third of his time walking through that country. Going monastery to monastery. Proclaiming the truth of the gospel. To anyone that would listen. But particularly to the Buddhist monks. They listen, they get angry, they throw him in jail. He spends about a third of his time in jail. And these aren't your normal jails, like what we would think. If you go out in this community, find the worst kennel you can think of, that jail's worse, a lot worse. And what he has to eat is a lot worse. Well, things start to happen when he's in jail. Other prisoners start to come to Christ. Guards start to come to Christ. The the people that are over that district don't like it. And they come to him, they kick him out. Tell him, you're not welcome. Get out of here. We don't want you here. So he makes his way back to Paro to recover. And that's where I met him. And we were able to pray together. And I asked him, I said, what can we do for you? He said, just pray. Pray. That as I go, 
The Holy Spirit will be there before me in the lives of these people. They'll recognize the truth and they'll accept it. And that I'll get my strength back. And that I'll find another partner to go. You see, John went with him on the previous trip. He rarely does have someone go with him on a second trip. When they realize what all it means. You know, and what uh, a captive audience really is. But he's faithful. Faithful taking the gospel to a place that otherwise would never, never, ever hear. I also got to go to a little country of Bangladesh. It's only a little in size. Population, millions. Primarily Muslim. East, north and east also of, of India. But up in one corner of that country is a tribal area, and there are a lot of animists there. And the government protects and restricts access to those peoples. But that's where we've seen some of the most responsiveness to the gospel. I had a a two-year journeyman, much like Kylie, who was out, and he had a real burden to take Jesus to a place where he is not known. Much like what Paul says. I want to go where the gospel is not known or hasn't been preached. So one of these areas was so restricted that a foreigner could not spend the night. And there was no road. So you go to the edge of the road, and this is what Joey wanted to do. So he got a national partner to go with him. 5 a.m., they're getting out of the car. Sun's just coming up. They take off jogging, see how far they can get by noon when they're going to have to turn around and come back. They want to go to as many villages as they can and share the gospel. I was sharing yesterday in the ordination service about one of those villages that I got to go visit later and see the results of what God is doing. So Joey goes to several, and as he gets further and further away from the road, further and further away from any contact, previous contact outside of, of that little area, he finds more and more responsiveness to the gospel. He goes to one village, and they said, we have been waiting our whole life, talking to the chief, for this message of truth. We knew it was out there. We didn't know how, what it meant and how to follow. And he was able to lead them to Christ. Led half the village to Christ. When I went back and got to visit, they drummed me in to the village, welcoming me to come speak. That whole village has come to Christ. And there are others just like it. Because the Holy Spirit put a burden on Joey's heart that he could not let go of. And he went where the Holy Spirit was already at work. And I guarantee you in your neighborhoods, with your friends, with your coworkers, the Holy Spirit's already at work, whether you know it or not. If you'll be faithful to share just what's happening in your own life, to testify, to praise, you'll see some amazing things happen just like Joey did. This summer, we're going to go with uh, the youth to India, southern part of India where we most recently were serving. Donna and I both are going with Johnny and, and several others. And looking forward to that, we're actually going to be partnering with some national church planning partners of ours we've known for years. They've had a burden for a people group called the Vaniyar, a name you've never heard, I'm pretty sure. Small group, 
Up until just a few years ago, they were unengaged and unreached with the gospel message. It's a very closed community. They don't trust outsiders. They don't welcome outsiders. But Kali and Joy, that's these two nationals, had a real burden for that. They found a couple that were willing to move there. We equipped them as best we could to go. They weren't, they couldn't get a place to stay in the village. They had to live outside the village. And, you know, they, they were pretty public in who they were as Christians, followers of Christ. And it was not unusual that rocks would come flying through their windows, break their windows, things would be written on their house saying they're not welcome, threats. But see, that community, like a lot of India and other parts of the world, don't always value life the same way that we do. And in their case, girls aren't nearly as desirable as boys. To the extent that in that culture, it's not uncommon, it was actually a common practice that if a baby girl was born, they would take them out to the edge of the jungle and leave them, abandon them. Well, this couple would go out to the edge of the field and pick up those babies and take them home. It wasn't long, and they had five or six young girls in their little home. Meager circumstances, but they knew this was not right. This was a call that God had put on their lives, and they wanted to serve, even under the umbrella of persecution that they were facing. But it wasn't long, and the rocks stopped coming through the windows. And they got word that some of the moms of these babies had told their husbands, don't you bother them. They're taking in our babies that we can't take care of. It wasn't much longer, and they were invited into the village to a bigger place. Started an orphanage. The government gave them funding to have a Christian school because no one else was taking care of those kids. Today, there's a church, thriving church in that community that was closed to the gospel until somebody was willing to give, put their life on the line, invest in the lives of these little ones that didn't have a whole lot of value in that culture. They had value to the parents. I mean, parents are parents everywhere, but the cultural pressure was so great. And the burden, financial burden, if you had a daughter, was so great that they would abandon them. But that's changed. That's somebody that gives. I want to bring it back to this side of the world a little bit. I was, uh, had opportunity to go to Ohio to a conference. I was one of the, the guest missionaries. Donna was supposed to go with me. But last minute, we had to make a change, and it was just me that went. And I was staying to stay, or we were supposed to stay with Miss Louise, a little lady. She was uh, retired, pretty infirmed, couldn't travel much, but she was a prayer warrior. And she, when she found out Donna wasn't coming, she, like most people, she was pretty disappointed. She got, got less than the better half. And, uh, but let me stay anyway. And uh, I began to talk with her a little bit, find out her heart. And she'd been praying 
for a people group. So happens, same people group we were trying to work with. We didn't know this ahead of time. God knows these things. Eight years earlier, she had read a little story in a magazine light guidepost of a Sherpa boy. Now, the Sherpa, most famous for being porters, guides, climbing Mount Everest, which they do. They live in and around Mount Everest and in the Himalayan region. But they are a people group, and they have multiple languages themselves that at that time still had not been translated, didn't have the gospel written. That has changed. New Testament, we partnered with Wycliffe on that one too, and the New Testament has been printed and distributed. A Jesus film is out. Anyway, so Miss Louise is telling me about this little boy, Gelsung was his name. He had had a vision that someone named Yesu, dressed in white, was coming to him to teach him the true way. See, he was Buddhist, Buddhist peoples, and trying to follow the eightfold path, which isn't radically different from the Beatitudes other than the purpose, the object of worship and the order of things, follow Christ. Anyway, that vision convinced him that there's a better way. He asked people in his village, and this is a remote area as well, no roads, no one knew anything. I mean, he's eight years old. And they decided that he was his family, even decided he's a little bit crazy. He said, I need to go live by myself on the edge of the village. So they set him up a little shack and he stayed there. These visions continued. Just, he wrote, started writing them down. A couple of years later, two Nepalis came through with gospel for Asia. Turned out one of them named Barnabas is a great friend of ours, church planning partner of ours. We put all these pieces together later, but came through, came to that village, asked if they knew about Yesu. They said, no, but this Gelsung, this weird kid, he knows about him. We'll, we'll take you to him. So his brother took him over, his older brother took him over there, introduced him. Gelsung showed these notes that he had taken, and they were like, where did you get this gospel? He's like, uh, it was in visions and dreams. They said, well, here's the missing pieces, and told him about Christ's sacrifice and resurrection, led him to Christ. So Miss Louise has been praying for Gelsung, because all she knew was the story. They'd been set apart and had come to Christ, and people had, had led him to Christ, Barnabas, and didn't know anything else. And so I then shared with her that we're working with the Sherpa, seeking to do church planting among this people group. And get the Bible translated. She had had a dream to go to that area and visit these villages and couldn't. Physically, she could not. I had just gotten my team to put together a virtual prayer walk for the Sherpa. Didn't know what I was going to do with it until I got to meet Miss Louise. And uh, what that was, it loaded it on her computer. She could see the villages, could see maps. She clicks. It would bring up pictures. And she could pray individually for each place where we were working where we knew people were, and we could add to it. And she was just weeping that we had been an answer to that prayer for her. Turned out, about eight years earlier, was almost exactly the same time that we had felt the call to go in the first place to Nepal. So prayer, little things, huge, huge results. I went back to Nepal, tracked down Gelsung. He was pasture. Of the first Sherpa church. Didn't know he existed. 
Didn't know he was there, but he was. We were able to start a couple of more churches among the Sherpa in our work. You know, you just never know what's going to happen when just a prayer is offered by one individual and what God can do with that and how it can change everything. I have some prayer partners that are our dear friends. They don't come visit. I've only been to visit them physically one time. They're over in Louisiana. There's a church there that we worked with, sent a lot of students to work with us, and I'd gone, and they had an outreach ministry, and it was at Angola Prison in Louisiana. It used to be known as the bloodiest prison in America. They had a warden, Warden Kane came, and he was given a lot of leeway because things were so desperate there. He invited New Orleans Seminary to come and start doing classes. They started an extension center in that prison, and it's going now strong. Southern Baptists planted a church in multiple camps in that prison. We got to go and worship with those guys. But these prayer partners were special. They couldn't come to that worship. See, they were confined to their cells 23 hours a day on death row. It was 11 men. Five of them had become believers through the outreach of this missions pastor at this church that we partnered with. He said, you've got to meet them because they're praying for you and your work and the people. And they have been hearing about you and they want to meet you. They want to meet you face to face. And as I went down that block, talking through the bars and hearing their stories, that they want their life, what life they have left, to matter. 23 hours a day, this one guy said, you know, and he, he wasn't very literate, but he had been taught to read since he'd been in prison. He said, I can pray. And I get right down here on this floor, this 8 by 12, 8 by 10 cell, and I'll pray for you. I have been praying for you. I will keep praying for the Sherpa and for you and for the work that's going on in the missionaries around the world and the church of Jesus Christ, us. And he was faithful to pray. Went to the next block, next cell, and there was a guy there who said, I, I'm praying for you, praying for your work, and I want you to take this little cloth cross I want you to hang on to it. He had taken his pillowcase and torn it up, wove it into this cross. He said, take that with you. Keep it with you. You know that I am praying for you. We are here praying for you. Yeah, we wish we could go with you. But we realize our circumstance prevents that. But we still want to matter. We want to make a difference for Christ. And I was able to share some of the stories of things that are happening and hopefully encourage them a little bit. We got to go to that worship service with them. With the, the prison, not with those guys, because they are in solitary. And it was a room, probably this many people, prisoners, most of them lifers. New Orleans Seminary commissions chaplains among those lifers at Angola. They've seen it transform that prison to the extent that other prisons in the U.S. have contacted, or at the time, contacted Warden Kane and said, what did you do 
And can we get some of that? So those prisoners that had been studied with New Orleans and had become chaplains put in transfer requests to other prisons around the U.S. And that's happening today. That work is spreading through people that have life sentences but get transferred to another prison in order to be missionaries. They want their lives to matter. They're working at it. Is life hard? Yeah, it's hard. While we were there, they asked the the group we were with, said, hey, you want to go play basketball out in the yard? I was like, in the prison? They said, sure. I said, okay. They said, we'll be with you. You'll you'll be okay. Just one thing. Don't call foul on anybody. (laughs) If if there's blood, we'll step in. But do not call foul. (laughs) So I got to play some basketball with these guys. And sure enough, they would protect us. They, were, they, they knew what they were doing. But that's not something I ever would have dreamed would have been possible. So what can we do that our life can matter? It doesn't have to be dramatic and going halfway around the world. It might. I mean, that, that did happen to us. But the dramatic thing that God wants to do in your life is to use your 24 hours each and every day to proclaim His glory, to give His praise, to testify to what He is doing in and through us. You know, I'm just like you. I'm a sinner saved by grace. You know, I I grew up in a Christian home, but it wasn't a direct interest of mine. I was a pretty selfish guy. I wanted what I wanted. I wanted to be an astronaut. This was during the days of Apollo, and I went hard after that and got an appointment to the Air Force Academy and thought, okay, that's the best way to get there. Then I started interviewing people that were at the Air Force Academy and realized, whoa, okay, maybe that kind of control, I I don't want to go there. I don't want to do that. So I ended up over at Georgia Tech where God met me, led me to Christ through the ministry of the Baptist Student Union. We as a church get to partner with a lot of people. As the body of Christ, local body right here, we give to the International Mission Board, we give to the North American Mission Board. We give a lot of resources to individuals, to organizations, to the community. I hope we give for the glory of God. That is the the sense that I get from this church and the heartbeat. We want to make a difference. Well, each one of us has that opportunity to make a real difference in the life of an individual. In that little video you heard, you know, there's an oak tree in every acorn. I look at it as there's an orchard in every apple. But something has to happen with those seeds. They have to be planted. They have to be spread. They have to be planted for the orchard to come. Make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. 
you'll turn over to the back of those notes, I want us to look at another passage. Also in Matthew 6, 33 and 34. says this, Matthew 6, 33 and 34, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you, given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You know, that whole passage just before that, six twenty-five and following is about, do not worry. Is it going to be hard? Are you going to be persecuted? Is it going to be uncomfortable? Probably. This is not our home. Our home is in heaven. But we are to talk about that. We are to share that with people and not keep it to ourselves. And we have to find ways to do that. So consider a time that a seemingly small act had a big impact on your life. What was that? How can you do something like that for someone else? I keep a bag, several bags in my car. Each one, I have a bottle of water and a couple of uh, protein bars. If I meet someone that's hungry, I have something to give them. When we were in India, we would keep biscuits and or crackers and things in the car, raisins and things to give. There's no end to beggars in South Asia. But there are needs all around us. We just have to be ready and plan a little bit ahead and be ready to use our 24 hours in the place where we've been planted. You're the only one that is walking the path that you are walking. You very well may be the only Jesus that some of your neighbors will ever know or see or opportunity to see. They don't see him in you. What's going to happen? I pray that I would be faithful to that. I know I overlook opportunities. I pray for that conviction. I look for accountability. So, whose life could you impact this week? Write some names down or run some names through your mind. Who can hold you accountable? Who are you willing to share that with and give them permission to ask you? Did you find them? Did, did you do something this week? That's what accountability is about. You know, what gets checked gets done. Let's get some accountability in our life. What's our part to play? Maybe small, maybe small today, and maybe big next week. What's your part to play? And then where is your treasure? Where do you put those 24 hours? You put them in your own personal vault? Like me, when I was younger, that it was all about me. Now, doesn't mean I got it figured out. Every day is a struggle. I have to turn those things back over. But God is faithful to meet me right where I am. He's faithful to meet you right where you are. Invite you into relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ, his death on the cross and resurrection. If we'll accept him as Savior and Lord, draw us back into that relationship with him, that right relationship then we can really make a difference in people's lives. Do you want to make a difference for Christ? Do you need to change? 
Do you need to change something small? Do you need to change something big? What might be standing in the way? That's what I want to leave you with. What might be standing in the way? Do you want some people to pray with you? Go back to the connect room where we got folks that they just want to sit and listen and pray and join with you. I'll be over here after the service. And if you're visiting, please come say hello. If you don't know Christ, seek out somebody back there. Come see us up here. We'd be happy. Love to join you in that. If you want to know how to live a life that matters, let's go have coffee. Let's talk. Let's figure it out. I got stuff to learn from you. Hopefully, we have stuff to learn from each other. Brian's going to come in just a minute, and uh, I'm going to lead us in prayer, and then Brian's going to come and uh, close us out. Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you for the privilege of being in your house, a part of your body. Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit open our eyes. Let us see people the way you see them. Break our hearts for the people around us. Prompt us to action, to be faithful to you, first of all. Thank you for this loving body. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.